Hello and welcome to the Standing for Truth Ministries podcast. I'm your host, Donnie Bedinsky, and together we will venture on a journey to explore the truth of biblical creation. Our ministry is also available on YouTube, so please search Standing for Truth and get access to the video versions of our programs. I'm Donnie Bedinsky, and as usual, stay awesome and trust in the truth of God's Word. All right, looks like we are live tonight for this very exciting debate on morality, secular morality versus Christian morality, to be specific. This debate will be between Matt Slick and Taylor, who goes by Snake Was Right on YouTube. Both of these debaters are no strangers to debates. They've both been here in the past. Um, Snake Was Right has been here a number of times, and Matt Slick was just here a couple of weeks ago to debate the same topic of morality with Dr. Ron Garrett. Uh, one of my favorite debates, actually. If you have not yet seen that, please go check it out. Definitely one to remember. So why don't we uh, start this debate off by breaking the ice and kind of going over some brief introductions in terms of who the debaters are, what they may be doing over at their channels or their ministry. Uh, why don't we start with uh, we can start with you, Matt. Uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for giving us your time. Hey, you're welcome. How are you doing? Good. Very good. I'm excited. <laughs> good. Okay. Now what are we going to talk about? Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's it. Quick and slick. All right. I'm Matt Slick from CARM.org, C-A-R-M.org. 25 years old, had 145 million visitors. I've written nine books. I've been on radio for 16 years, five days a week, do all kinds of impromptu answering questions, debates, things like that, and love my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who saved me out of my agnosticism, paganism, occultism, and uh, other isms and istics that were ungodly. And by his great mercy, here I am. So hopefully uh, I won't won't misrepresent his name. Hopefully we'll see what happens. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that introduction. Taylor, thanks for being here again. I'm excited. Uh, brief introduction. How you been? How you been lately? Oh, not bad. Just, uh, you know, riding it out. boy. Yeah. yeah. So my channel is uh, Snake Was Right, which is uh, basically a reference to the Genesis story with the serpent and uh from uh, my perspective, he was the hero of the story because knowledge is worth pretty much any punishment you get from it. Um, it's it's the price of waking up from your ignorance is the, the world's going to slap you in the face. So I think that uh, that's 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 what my channel kind of seeks to do is, um, you know, just get to the truth of things, um, even if it's an inconvenient truth. Um especially I like changing my mind. So I like to, to uh, go through topics like that. Um, I've had some pretty large uh, shifts in worldview in my life. And so I'll talk about those sometimes. Um, mostly, mostly about skepticism though. So yeah, it's about the methodology of how we go about uh, looking at things in the world. Awesome. Well, thanks for that introduction, gentlemen. Why don't we get right into this? We've got a good chat. Uh, to the audience, tag me with your questions because we're going to be having uh, brief 10-minute openings. We're going to be starting with Snake, 
followed by a dialogue. We're going to keep it free flowing and organic between the two debaters sticking to the topic of morality, followed by a question and answer guys. So send me your questions. Make sure you're tagging me at, st at standing for truth so I don't miss them. And yeah, we'll make sure we have a good question and answer period. So anyways, enough for me. Thanks for the introduction. Uh, gentlemen, we'll hand it over to Snake for his opening statement. Go ahead whenever you're ready. All right. Hopefully I'm not talking too fast. I had to squeeze it in a little bit, but here we go. Uh, so first off, I'm a moral realist, so I believe in objective morality, that truth can be applied to moral statements, correct and incorrect ways of existing and choosing, um, and I think we can easily throw out subjective and relative morality due to the absurdities that it commits, like mutually contradictory positions, propositions being true at the same time, making it completely meaningless and useless. Uh, under moral relativism, things like genocide can be more, both morally acceptable and morally unacceptable at the same time. So it's incoherent and um, it's, it's useless. Uh, either it is wrong or it is not. It can't be both. Um, so I'm glad that this, my, I'm going to be defending secular morality here because this isn't about denying a God. In fact, I can just give you and assume a God for this whole thing and I can assume God exists and it's completely correct. And I think I would still have the str much stronger argument. So my arguments are all compatible with the idea of God. They just contradict some of the bad arguments that I think a lot of apologists out there are trying to make for God. Um, in fact, the first experiment that I conducted in my model of morality was to assume a perfect God and try to test why, why he held certain moral statements to be true. Something that I don't think Christian, most Christian apologetics are capable of doing, even though it's the most important part of this whole equation. I'm here to expose the emptiness in a lot of apologetics and saying the buck stops with God. So this approach is core to a lot of apologetics, but it's stunted. And uh, it cannot answer any of the important questions. It just ends up with an unsupportable, empty, circular claim that God is always right. Therefore, anything God says or does is right. So this is a textbook example of the fallacy of begging the question. And as a fallacy, it cannot stand as a valid argument. And I have to reject it or else I'm being irrational by definition. So the way I can uh, show that I'm right is by just using the definition of God against the apologetics. God must be rational. His opinions are not random. Therefore, he must ha be able to rationally justify any and all of his positions, and he cannot use himself, or that would be irrational because it's circular. And um, so this would allow us to ask and answer the question, why is God's nature the way it is? Why does God approve of X moral action and disapprove of Y moral action? Um, I don't think, uh, I've, I've never really met in a apologist who is able to answer these questions without borrowing from the worldview of logic first, because it's only with that logic first approach that you can even uh, approach rational justification for God's nature and knowledge of what God's nature even is, let alone that he exists, if at all. So the Euthyphro dilemma goes as such, assuming God is good, is he good because he's good or is he good because he's God? And so apologists instinctively know that saying that he's good because he's God is the wrong answer and cannot be supported by anything but an appeal to authority, which is a fallacy, and invoking might makes right, which is subjective morality. So they also know they can't say that he's good because he's good because then they have to hold to the dogma that there's nothing God is bound by, but as we'll see, this is clearly false. So they make up a third option that for the d dilemma that no serious philosopher agrees with, which is why it's still held in consensus as a dilemma, not a trilemma. Uh, so the so-called third option is that goodness is grounded in God's nature, but this just kicks the can down the road and swaps language and does not answer the question at all. It just makes the question become now, 
why is God's nature good? Is God's nature good because it is good or because it's God's nature? So we face the exact same dilemma, just with different language. This supposed third option has done nothing for us. Is God's nature good because it's God's or is God's nature good because it's good? See, this is really just the same question. It hasn't changed anything. God's nature is equivalent to the thing that God is. It's his ontology. His nature is a description of what he is. So when you dodge the question about God's goodness by saying his nature is good, well, you've done nothing but say the same thing in a different way. And I repeat myself. So there's no separating God from his nature. It's not a third option. It's a dodge, plain and simple. This is a necessary for apologetics, though, because they're whole framework is utterly bankrupt of any substance or utility and focus merely on hidden emotional buzzwords like rooted in God's nature. But the, these actually don't mean anything because they cannot describe God's nature without creating circular logic and, word, and using word games, um, which are not valid arguments. Um, and this is not becoming of us as philosophers. So the key difference here is relying on rational justification of moral principles, whether there is a God or not. It's The God question is irrelevant. A God would still need a rational justification or else it's just subjective morality. If morality is contingent on the mind of God, then it is by definition subjective and therefore meaningless. God cannot hold just any opinion, like such as squishing babies' heads for fun is a morally good thing, um, and then it, that you would be forced to say that that's true because it's God's nature, as long as it's his nature. Um, so the... The response would be God would never say squishing a baby's head is moral acceptable because it's against his God, his nature. Um, but this is where I show you there's limitations to God. And I agree that that would never be part of a good God's nature. But these explanations are stunted because that's as far as they can go. They can just say it's against his nature. They categorically cannot explain why God's nature is the way it is. Um, and the most surface level reason is God cannot contradict himself. He cannot make contradictory or false statements true. He can't make two plus two equal five. He can't make a one be a zero at the same time. He can't violate the laws of identity, non-contradiction, and excluded middle. He's bound by these things. He's bound by truth if he's perfect. And the apologists might say, well, God is truth, except we also know God is a mind and has other things outside of just being truth. He's a conscious being capable of knowing things and choosing to act. So either there's a reason God's nature is the way it is, or there is not a reason. Um, apologists can't accept the former because that means God is contingent in some ways and they can't accept the latter because that would mean God is just random and has no justifications. Um, so this is a true dichotomy. Either God has rational justifications or he doesn't. Both options contradict dogma though, so they're stuck in cognitive dissonance and it can't proceed forward to ask the vital questions like why God is the way he is and how you know that that nature is good. It's just assumed and um, why he approves or disapproves of certain morals. Um, they simply have a foregone conclusion as a premise, and, and which is a fallacy, um, and the premise is God is always right. Anything God says is right because God is always right, and that's a fallacy and must be dismissed. Um, now, the fact that these things are all inarguable leads to one last but common tactic for the apologist to avoid it altogether and question how I can even know whether my reasoning or rationale is reliable in any way at all. And they posit that their God is the only way that we can get to reliable thought. But this is a cheat tactic. Merely defining a system as a free of contradictions does not work. It's defined, if you define some hypothetical thing as perfect and say it therefore exists because it by definition has no flaws and therefore it's better than our limited understanding of the universe um, because it has holes in it, this is a fallacy. 
In other words, because our best studied information is not 100% sure and complete, they're positing that uninformed faith is more reliable than our most informed models of reality. Um, the problems with this are numerous, but here's just a couple. Relying on God doesn't make your reasoning or perception reliable. The soul is capable of delusion. Believing Christians are capable of delusion. You can't escape that merely by proposing a worldview that claims proper logical inferences. Because I can just do the same thing and say naturalism allows for accurate reasoning and perception by definition, so therefore I can reason. Um, but this would also be circular thinking, just as as the common apologism is, um, and it has no attempt to show that re that reasoning to that conclusion was valid in the first place. It's just circular. There's no entry point. So again, you'd just be kicking the can down the road. You ground your logic and inference in God, but you can't ground the reliability of that belief in anything, just faith, and faith can lead to any conclusions, so it's useless. So it, we're utterly incapable of distinguishing with faith in an evil God from faith in a good God, from faith in a false God, faith in true God, from faith in a mere human claiming to speak for a true God, but actually speaks for an evil one or is merely just speaking for himself. Um, you can't even make the argument without first stating that premise that your perception and rationality are at least reliable in the first place in order to make this kind of justification for a God. Um, you'd have no way of knowing even if it was true without being able to know your sense perception was true in the first place. You still have that problem, and you can't solve it by saying you believe in a god. Um, there's just no way to break out of this circle. Uh, the reality is you have to start with the assumption that your reasoning and memory and perception are accurate and reliable at least some of the time before you can reason to the source of it. Otherwise, there's, there's no way to get there in the first place. There's nothing to talk about either. If you assume that you can't reason, there's nothing to say. The problem for uh, the apologist is you don't need a God to do any of this. We just have to know that no matter what, even if there is a God, that's where we have to start. If minds could not produce logical inferences, I wouldn't even be able to make sense of a delusion. I'd just be confused and crying like a baby all the time. I'd have no thoughts whatsoever, just sensation. And, and fearful sensation and have no organization of thought whatsoever. Yet I can organize and predict and direct my world, even if it's simulated. We might be wrong. However, if we're able to think properly, even some of the time, then we can start checking ourselves. And the more we check, the better we get. You can't escape this problem just by invoking a God. A soul can be under a delusion. A soul can have error in thought. Christians disagree with each other on almost everything all the time. So no, the only way you can check your reasoning is by checking with other people, checking your models of reality against reality. So um, I think that this is taking advantage of our honesty when we admit that we can't know things 100%, and then it's substituted, well, faith can know we we can be 100 sure with faith but it's even less reliable than these uh, not 100 reliable models of reality that we do have but that are testable faith is not testable faith can lead you in any direction checking against reality can at least direct you towards understanding reality um and so it doesn't matter what you assume exists you can't just assume that you're correct and by define yourself as correct. I can just assume the laws of nature give me perfect clarity and perception and, and um, by doing that, I've done just as much explanatory work as you have. So we have one thing for sure, we exist, and there seems to be organization of thought and experience and just not just total confusion. So the probability that we can perceive and think correctly is higher than 50%. Um, and even though we mis make mistakes sometimes, Christians are not free from mistakes. So merely providing an answer does not mean that it's the right answer. Sometimes we just don't know, and it's dishonest to say we do know. 
Merely proposing that there's a God and that it's true does not absolve you of having to show that your sense experience and your rationing, uh, rationalization of that conclusion is accurate. You can't show that just um, such an assumption is accurate without first showing that your reasoning is accurate. So you still have to start in the same place as everyone else. I think you've got about a minute left, Snake. Okay. There's, there's also just no way for us to differentiate without starting with logic between your God and someone who worships an evil God that just says it's right by definition. The reality is you don't act according to this worldview, though. People do look at the Bible through modern secular moral eyes for the most part, which is why they need to excuse the atrocities in it. The reality is that you know that there that given several claims of a God, even several interpretations of the same God, that we cannot rely on faith alone to get us through this process to pick a true God, even if there is one. We know there are certain things that would let us rule out some of these proposed gods. The easiest way is to find contradictions in their edicts, including edicts that are themselves internally contradictory. Slavery and genocide are themselves contradictory, or hypocritical concepts. So any being that advocates them for them is wrong, period. It can't be right. We know God cannot violate the laws of identity, non-contradiction, and excluded middle, yet slavery and genocide do this. So can a God who advocates these be a good God? No. But Christian apologetics attempts to excuse these contradictions, and that's an unforgivable weakness of the, the moral model. It creates absurdities like that. They attempt to avoid these contradictions by merely defining that God is good no matter what, and we've already gone over that. Logical grounds. Um, I've got left if, if I could finish. Sure, sure. Finish and then we'll just give uh, Matt equal time. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, the final weakness with that model, with the uh, apologist Christian model, is that you have to wait for God to reveal things to you but this isn't how we act. We know that certain atrocities would preclude this God from being good even though you allow for some of them because uh, essentially you've made your choice and are sticking to it. So I sympathize with Christians and theists that want a final, objective, unchanging answer for all time. But the problem is this actually stunts the method. It keeps them unable to incorporate new information and correct themselves, and it requires hubris of declaring your understanding it was without flaw and cannot uh, cannot improve, whereas the process of continuously error-checking at least gets us closer to truth. So it's not so much about the actual answer, but the methodology we use to get there. The principles of non-contradiction, law of identity, excluded middle, can't be assailed, but if they can, show me. So I could reiterate my main points, but I could end there. All righty. Well, thank you, Snake, for that opening statement. Uh, we'll hand it over to Matt. Uh, take equal time, and then we will jump into open dialogue. So I've, I've already seen some uh, questions and super chats coming in, guys. So thanks for the super chats. Thanks for the support. And uh, thanks for the questions. So uh, why don't we hand it over to Matt? Go ahead whenever you're ready. All right. Thanks. I'll just jump right in. Took some notes. I'll comment. See how long it takes. Uh, the problem uh, with uh, Taylor's opening statement is that he's trying to cover too much too quickly. Uh, he needs to focus on one or two aspects so that they can be properly understood and dealt with. A shotgun approach at a bunch of moving targets really isn't the way to have a debate. Uh, he talked about preconditions for intelligibility, begging the question, ontological reference, naturalism, self-checking, delusion, reality, logical inference, faith, models of reality, testability, biblical atrocities, God's slavery, laws of logic, etc. And that was just what I found in the last five minutes. So, you know, I would say that uh, he needs to focus more. Maybe we can do that during a debate. He says he's a moral realist, 
And uh, that means that he, and he said he believes in objective morality. That will be interesting to have a discussion about. Moral realism uh, is a philosophical point of view, which states that there are actual moral facts. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he justifies that. I'm assuming he's an atheist. And um, so he mentioned begging the question a great deal, but he doesn't realize that he uh, begins by begging the question. And uh, he does that because he assumes the validity of logic by which he then judges that somebody or some argument is begging the question. But to do that assumes the validity of the logic you're using, which is begging the question to begin with. Everybody begs the question. Everybody has circularity in their argumentation. So if he's going to say that begging the question invalidates an argument, he shouldn't argue. He shouldn't say anything because then to do so is to presuppose the validity of the laws of logic, law of non-contradiction, law of excluded middle, law of um, proper inference, uh, law of identity, to assume their validity by which he can then say that something is begging the question. Well, that means he has to beg the question in order to beg the question, to point out begging the question. So he's basically shooting himself in the foot and he hasn't established the justification for that. Uh, that what are the necessary preconditions for intelligibility? Well, that's something maybe we can talk about sometime tonight or maybe another time. Now, I'm a Christian. I believe in the eternal Trinitarian God. And I don't know what God he was talking about, but it wasn't a Christian one. Uh, so what he was doing is attacking some generic concept of God. If he's going to debate a Muslim, he needs to understand the Muslim concept of God. If he's going to debate a Trinitarian, he should at least understand the Trinitarian concept of God. He doesn't. I'd be willing to have a Bible study with him and teach him what the Christian concept of God is, the self-revelation of God in the scriptures, so that he's attacking the Christian perspective and not an, an errant view of what he thinks a Christian God is. And in that Christian perspective, here's something he may or may not like. God does not need to justify anything to anyone. That is the Christian perspective. To say that God must justify himself using logic or whatever it must be is to not address the issue of the Christian perspective. We say God doesn't need to do that. Now, you may not like that. You may say, well, that's not an acceptable position to hold. Well, then you can't hold the position that you just assume the laws of logic are valid. They just are. Well, God just is the way he is. You see, we can do the same thing, and you're being inconsistent when you say it's not a valid argument for us to say that moral morality comes from the nature of God because that's just the way God is. Well, then you have to abandon the idea of using logic and begging the question because that's just the way logic is, and you can just use it. You don't realize your own inconsistency and your lack of foundation in your argumentation, and you also don't realize you're sitting on the lap of God while you slap him in the face and complain about him because you're borrowing from the Christian worldview in order to even argue logically because only in the Christian worldview can we pr provide the necessary preconditions for the transcendental necessity of the absolute abstractions known as the laws of logic. But since we're talking about that a little bit, you haven't even been able to discuss the issue of moral obligation. Why is the is leading to an ought? That's something I'd like to, uh, you know, maybe get into sometime. Since you say you're a moral realist, I could ask questions. What justifies your moral realism as being the proper thing? And don't beg the question by assuming the validity of the laws of logic in order to say that this is your position. And certainly don't beg the question by assuming that there are moral facts. Because you have to define what a moral fact is. You beg the question, you beg the question, you don't even see your own error in so doing as you point at others. Now, Romans 2.1 says you're guilty of the thing of which you accuse others. You should be careful about that because you're just fulfilling what Scripture says. Or also Romans 1.18, that you suppress the truth of God 
in your unrighteousness. You ask, why is God's nature good? Well, that's like saying there's a standard of goodness, so why is God's nature according to that? That shows that you don't understand Christian theology. You see, <clears throat> we're not dodging the question by saying that God is good because that's just what God is. He reveals himself. That's our starting point. That's our terminus. If I ask you a question, and I will later on about moral standards and right and wrong, and you say, well, because of this, I'm going to ask, what about that? What about that? What about that? Where's your terminus? Our terminus is in the Christian God and the revelation of him in the scriptures. Now, let's see, going through some more of my notes. It said God would need a justification, otherwise it's meaningless. Really? Why would God need to justify himself to you? And therefore, it's, if he doesn't, it's meaningless. Where'd you get that? Just because you said so? Just saying it doesn't make it so. I want more than rapid-fire shotgun approaches on multiple topics, verbal carpet bombing, on a whole bunch of stuff to try and make your point. Now, you got to hyper-focus on something, and that's maybe what we'll get into doing. But nevertheless, God does not need a reason outside of himself to justify himself to you or to me or anybody. That's not the Christian perspective. You need to address the Christian perspective, and you're not doing that. You're not understanding the Christian God. And it's very often the case with those who complain about God. They don't understand him. They don't uh, argue against the Christian perspective. And he says, why are there limitations to God's nature? Well, we can talk about that. God can't lie because that's his nature. Well, you know, that's not satisfying to you? Well, okay, it's not satisfying to you. You don't like it? Oh, well. You don't like it. It doesn't mean it's true. It doesn't mean it's false. It doesn't mean anything. It just means that you don't like it. Now, <clears throat> uh, let's see. Uh, you said he can assume that naturalism provides the preconditions uh, for reasoning. Oh, I would love you to try that one. I'd love you to, to uh, actually propose how naturalism can provide the preconditions for reasoning. Because I'll tell you, it can't be done. And if you want to take up my challenge, I would love you to try that. I'll shoot holes in that. Uh, no problem. Um, <clears throat> our grounding is not just in faith. A lot of uh, critics of Christianity think we just have this irrational belief, and it's just a matter of faith. That's not the Christian perspective either. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ as recorded by the eyewitnesses and accurately transmitted from then to now. And I can go into this and the historicity of the scriptures and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's what I do. And so it's what God has revealed about himself in the person of Christ. Now, he says we can make assumptions, normal, you know, namely that we exist. I, I, I agree. What justifies your fact of making assumptions? Just to say you exist. Well, okay. Well, why do you exist and where did you come from? What's the ultimate cause of your own existence? What's the ultimate cause of rationality? What's the ultimate foundation by which you argue? This is a weakness you have, and maybe we'll bring it out later. Um, <clears throat> let's see. said any God who advocates slavery and genocide is simply wrong. Really? Why? Because you say so? Because, see, if you're going to say there's a universal moral obligation, how do you have that in your, your perspective? If you say it's just wrong, well, then why is it wrong? Because you said so? We've got to find out if you're in touch with some universal moral principle by which you can judge what happens in the Old Testament, which I'll tell you, you don't know what biblical slavery is, and you certainly don't understand the context of the genocide. You don't. It's universally the case in my 41 years of debating and uh, particularly the last 15, 20 years with atheists, they do not understand what they criticize. 
I, I will see if you're any different, but I doubt that because you've already revealed that you don't understand the issues as revealed in scripture. By the way, you can go to karm.org and read up on that and get some answers. So you beg the question by saying that there are contradictions within the Christian God. Again, in order to, to say the uh, contradictions means you have to assume the validity of the laws of logic by which you then beg the question, assume their validity, you don't can't uh, validate it, and then you say, and that's what's wrong over there. You can't beg the question, can you? You don't want people to beg the question, and yet you do it all the time. From the very start, you beg the question. We all beg the question. The issue is, which worldview can make sense of our circularity? And that's something we can talk about as well, maybe. I'm just responding with the multitudinous topics you brought up. Nor have you established by the, any means by which you can establish what is and is not an atrocity. You have to have a universal standard by which you can say what an atrocity is and it's morally wrong. You have to be able to say, this is what it is. Give us a standard which obligates everyone, all cultures and all times, and universal absolute abstraction. Because if you can't do that, you're offering nothing more than your opinion. And you're certainly entitled to your opinion. But opinions don't make things true or not true. And so there you go. I'm done. All right. Well, thank you for that opening statement, uh, Matt, just on time, 10 minutes. So why don't we move to a free-flowing dialogue? I guess since Matt just finished, oh, there we go. Since Matt just finished, we can hand it to Snake if you'd like to start off the discussion with a question or maybe a point you wanted to address based on Matt's opening and then we'll kind of go from there. Let's keep it respectful, uh, as, as little interruptions as possible. And anyways, the floor is yours, gentlemen. So you said that it was uh, too much of a shotgun approach, but there's only four main points if you would want me to read those out for you again. No. Okay, so um, you say that I'm begging the question, but I'm not, because I'm not even assuming the validity of logic. I don't presuppose them, and I all I do is use them as a model, and it's an if-then statement. If they're correct, then we can test the assumptions. We can also test whether this model is working or not. Um, and um, so I, the only way you can make sense, you, you claim it's circularity, but it's not circularity. That's just the methodology. So, But the only way to make sense of any circularity is through my model, because you can't just assume that your God is correct. You have to be able to have some kind of independent verification of which of your God's nature, if it's good or not, you can't just take his word for it. I don't, how, how can, so how can you um, distinguish between someone who's lying about God saying what their nature is and someone who's telling the truth about God saying what their nature is? <clears throat> well, I'm going to get to your first point. Um, <clears throat> you say you're not begging the question when you assume the, the laws of logic. Oh yes, you are. No, I'm not assuming them. Yes, you are. And no, you're I'm doing, not. I, I let you speak. So hopefully I could speak. Well, you're um, telling me what I'm doing. So I'm just correcting you. So I'm just yeah, saying that. You, well, I'm sorry. I was, I was just going to say, yeah, as, as little interruptions as possible. Uh, we'll allow uh, Matt equal time. Go ahead, Matt. You uh, assumed if-then statements, which is deductive based on logic. So you assume the validity of using if-then statements to test the validity of something. So you're assuming the validity of if-then statements, which is based on logic. You're assuming the laws of logic. No, if they're true, then we can use them. So you assume they're truth? No. How do you know they're true? Do you, do you know what the word if means? Yes. How do you know if they're true or not? 
Well, we can also test the results. So how do you test them? So if I can build an engine based on my knowledge of engines, <laughs> is that not a test of my knowledge of engines? Yes, it is. But let's use logic. Stick with logic. So how do you test logical truths? Yeah, you uh, basically, <laughs> you can use contradictions. You can use math. Math is probably the best way to do it. So if something contradicts itself, it's not true? Yes. So you assume the validity of the law of non-contradiction? Uh, I don't assume it. It's just if it's oh. true, then so you, contradictions are not true. So if it's not assumed, do you have you validated that it's true so you don't assume it's truth? From the best of our abilities, we it's true because it's the only thing that, that uh, gives results. If we don't assume it's true, we can't do anything. We can't even have a conversation. Oh, so you do assume the validity of the laws of logic. Thank no. you. Yes, you no. just said you just said if you don't assume it, you can't have a conversation. That if means you have a conversation means you assumed it. If we don't use that model, then we can't do anything. So how do you know the model's true? Because it gives results. And how do you know the results are correct? Well, we can predict them. How do you know the see, results the problem are is correct? You can't, see, you can't answer this either, though. Well, yes, I can. I am answering it, but you can't. Yeah, you, ask can't me. Ground, you can't ground this in God. I can't? Why not? Explain it. Explain what? Explain how you can be sure that you're thinking correctly just because you believe in a God. I didn't say that. That's not my position. We're talking can't, about can't the nature souls? of the laws of logic and assumptions. Sorry. Go yeah. ahead. Uh, can souls be incorrect? Can, I'm sorry. Can what? You as a soul, you're assuming that your mind is existing outside of your brain. There's a soul. You should ask me what I assume, not tell me what I assume. Okay. My soul is inside my asked. body. You assume there's a soul, right? Okay. Yes, I do believe in a soul. So as so can you make mistakes in thinking and rationality? Oh, you better believe it. Yeah. Okay. So how do you know? How do you know when you've made a mistake? By appealing to the laws of logic. So how do you know that those are right? <laughs> By assuming the the uh, validity of the Christian worldview. That doesn't you can't connect the dots there. Yes, I, I can. can. No, see, the thing is, I can just say, yes, I, I assume the validity of the uh, my worldview, which says that the laws of logic are correct. And so I've done just as much work <clears throat> as you have, which is none. Really? You no. haven't done anything, and I will show you how they exactly. connect. Exactly. I'll show you. It's I'll empty. I will show you how they connect. You ready? Mm -hmm. The laws of logic are abstractions. They occur in the mind, correct? No, incorrect. Oh, they, they occur under rocks? Uh, they occur everywhere. They occur everywhere. Do they occur in my glass of water? We've Are only the laws of logic occurring. Yep. So a statement cannot be both true and false at the same time. In the same sense, is occurring in my glass of water? Yes. So the, the logic. The way we put it in our language that we use logic to describe these laws. This is not occurring in the glass of water, but the the rules that it's behaving by are occurring in the glass of water. A rule is an abstraction. No. It's not? No. So the rule of my house is don't wear shoes on the carpet, hypothetically. That's an abstraction. It occurs here in the mind. That's a made-up rule. That's an abstract rule. Rules can be abstract. Okay. So the it's a, it's a rule. It's an abstraction. All right. So the laws of logic are abstractions. No. They don't occur in the mind? They can occur in the mind. We can write them in a language of logic. So a... If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C, the law of proper inference. Does that, that occur does that occur in water? Yes. That doesn't that didn't start when we first started writing it down. It was in the world before we ever started 
describing it. The water it, cannot be not water and water at the same time. That's just how it behaves. Oh, so you assume the validity of uh, the law of identity? No, we observe it. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, that was disrespectful. How do you observe a law? You observe the behavior. What's the behavior? The behavior is that it is what it is. So how do you know that that is what it is? Uh, it's not changing into not water. How do you know it's not changing the not water? Perception, observation. So how do you know your perceptions are correct? You don't. So you don't know how to va validate anything based on your we could, we could be hallucinating. We could be hallucinating <clears throat> in a mental ward and assuming a god wouldn't change that. You have no, you have no more power for, for figuring that out than anyone else does just by assuming a god. Uh, it and seems I don't think you've explained that just by saying that they're mental abstractions. Well, we haven't gotten there. We're tr I'm trying to. I want everybody to know that you think that if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. That's occurring in here. I want everybody to know everywhere. that you think that. Okay, so it, it's occurring everywhere. Um, so the law of proper inference. Does it occur in the brain? Would you say it has a nature of the being brain or it occurs in water, right? You say it occurs in water? If right? A is water and B is water, then and A equals B, then they're okay. both water. So you assume the inference. Can you observe properties of water? Can you measure the properties? Mm -hmm. So because it's a, if it's physically related, it'll have properties related to the physics, right? We can measure them and things like that, right? Uh-huh. We have weight, mass, density, reflectivity, refraction, etc. Heat, transference, entropy. Can you do any of that with the laws of logic? Can you measure its weight? Anything that has Is to that do with physical laughing? properties. Because you're saying that the laws of logic occur in matter. That means they're occurring in the matter. So therefore, we should be able to detect them in matter. And the way to detect things with matter is by weight, mass, density, reflectivity, all mm -hmm. kinds of properties. Can you do that with uh, the law of proper inference? Can you measure it, weigh it, take a picture of it, x-ray it, anything? Yep. You can take a picture of the law of logic, the, the law of proper inference? Yes. You want to go to images uh, at google.com and see if they have a picture of the law of proper inference? Yeah. So if you uh, measure a certain weight and then you measure it again and it's that weight, it hasn't changed. So you're, you're saying then that, that the law of proper inference, as an example, has properties and that you can weigh them? And measure them. You can take a picture of the law of, of, of it. Okay, you can't. Of it well. You can't measure. You can't weigh the law of inference. Why not? You can confirm it through weighing something. So, if I have, you know, my thumb drive, and I put the law of proper inference on the thumb drive, does the weight change? Uh, I'm not sure how computing works. I don't think it gains weight when it has extra bits in it. You're correct. It doesn't. So then how is it that what you said is true, that, it, that the laws of logic can be measured and have weight? The law of logic could be written in the language of logic in the bits. Okay. But the laws are in the matter itself. The laws are in the matter. That's how they behave. So you so, beg the question by assuming that their behavior, you're assuming the law of identity to begin with. You assume that something is what it is, it's not what it is not. No, but it's the only thing we can do. So oh, you do I, it. Admit so, you take the question. Okay. 
No, so it's a model we can use, but it's the only model we can use. If you don't use them, then you're just going to be sitting there doing nothing, saying nothing, thinking nothing. And yes, some of our senses may be warped. We could be hallucinating in a mental ward right now, but I don't see how you've been able to break that problem just by proposing a God. Well, here's how we, we do this as Christians. The laws of logic. Are you talking still? Wait, I'm looking at the wrong wrong video. <laughs> Sorry, my bad. The laws of logic are abstractions. They don't occur in rocks. A rock doesn't have the law of logic embedded in it. You could take it out and measure it because if it's in rocks, related to rocks, it has a physical property to it. You can't measure them. So it just doesn't work. And you need to study this so that you don't... Uh, make yourself look even worse when it comes to these issues because it's not a logical position that you can hold. What we say as Christians is that the laws of logic are abstractions and they occur in the mind. That's where they occur. And we apprehend these laws, which are universal and true everywhere all the time. Therefore, they have a transcendental quality. And since they're transcendent in their quality and since they are abstract by nature, we can say that the universal mind, the Christian God, is a necessary precondition for those universal absolute abstractions. We certainly can give the necessary preconditions for intelligibility. You can't. And yeah, I can. I can just do as much work as you did and say, well, my worldview just says that they're true and it accounts for it. And that's all you've done. You, so you, you haven't. So how, how have you been able to check to see if this hypothetical you've proposed is actually true? No, I'm talking about the worldview that can support the yeah, ideas of yeah, laws of you, logic. You're a naturalist, right? No. Oh, well, what are you? Just curious. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. No, it's not, because I need to know what perspective you have. If you're a naturalist, that's self-refuting. What perspective do you have? I'm not going to tell you because it's irrelevant. Oh, okay. So you think it's irrelevant, but to me it's not. I've got a lot more experience in debates than you do. I've been doing this for decades. So I think it's relevant to know what perspective you're coming from. Why is it you won't tell me? Because it's irrelevant. I don't want to waste time on it because I can assume that your God is real. And my moral, my model still holds real. <clears throat> so you don't want to tell me what perspective you have? If you're an atheist or agnostic, or, are you an atheist or agnostic? I'm not going to waste my time on it. Are you a deist? I'm, I'm an objective moralist. You're an objective moralist. Do you base your objective moralism in an atheistic worldview, humanistic worldview? What, what's your perspective? No, I think I can assume a God. Let's assume a God for this debate. Which God? Any God. A God what? that is correct <clears throat> about morality. Which God would that be? Who cares? The point Who is, cares the point, the if point God is, is correct? The point is you have no ability to distinguish a God who's correct about morality and a God who's incorrect about morality because you just assume that he is. So what you're saying is I have to have a standard by which I can judge God. Of course you do, because how are you going to tell the difference between someone who's lying to you about God and someone who's not? Can you establish to me the truth that we need to have a standard by which we judge God? Tell me that that justify yes, that. Yes, because you can't answer the question I just posed. No, no. Justify the necessity of your question being the right question. Because you could be tricked by someone who's lying to you about God. How would you know if you're being tricked or not? That's my question. I know I'm not being tricked because God has revealed himself in the scriptures. How do you know you're not being tricked right now by Satan? Since you say the snake is right, that means you adopt Satanism. You're saying, yeah, I agree with no. Satan. That's Satanism. Absolutely it is. No, I just believe that knowledge of good and evil is, is good. The knowledge of good and evil is good? Yes. So the knowledge of evil is good? Yes. And what standard do you have by which you judge that? Because if you don't know what evil is, you can't know how to avoid it. How do you know that? 
because how are you supposed to avoid it? How do you know this? I asked you questions and then you beg the question by answering the question with your assumption. You don't realize how guilty you are of begging the question. Your worldview comes toppling down. And I think the reason you want me to tell me what worldview we have is because you don't want me to have another place to put my logical crowbar in and start prying your worldview apart and showing you where the cracks are. You keep begging the question. You don't realize how you're begging the question. You assume the validity of the laws of logic, but you can't validate them except to say, well, they work. But that's begging the question. And you don't know if they work or not because you don't have any way of saying that the laws that you believe and the laws that I believe are identical or if you and or I are required yeah. to obey and submit to the truth of those laws of logic, which means they exist outside of ourselves. And none of that is true because I've already explained that I don't assume it. But um, so you can't break that circle either, though. What's so, so if I'm guilty of that circle, you are. But you can't. You're <laughs> adding unnecessary things to it. I just say that when we have the self-revelation of the Trinitarian God in Scripture and we assume his position, everything makes sense. I can account for objective morality, <laughs> if, the necessary preconditions for intelligibility, our own existence. You can't. All I have to do is have the is if the laws of logic are true. That's all I need. How do you know you they're need, true? You need a bunch of stuff. How do you know they're true? Well, uh, we can't know 100%, but we can be very sure. And you so, have to do it the same way. No, I know because they're reflections of the nature of God. And he is no, because always... you don't know. You have no ability to dif to distinguish the nature of God from an evil God. Yes, I do. No, you don't. How? What is it? Would you agree with me that if something has a certain nature, it also does not have something contrary to that nature? Well, you'd have to assume the laws of logic, wouldn't you? Yes, I do assume the laws of logic. I proudly do. Now, if would you agree with me that if something has a nature, that it also means it does not have the opposite nature or different nature? Yes. Okay. So if God is good, doesn't it mean he's not also – that it doesn't mean that if he's good, it is the case that he's not also evil? Yes. So is evil self-contradictory? Yes. So is God self-contradictory? Uh, the, the true perfect God would not be. There you go. You can find no contradiction with the Trinitarian God. Uh, no, but I can find contradictions with people who are claiming things about this supposed God. You certainly can. And as a Christian apologist, I do this all the time in yeah, Christianity yeah. and outside of Christianity. But that's, that's irrelevant to whether or not the revelation of God in the scriptures has any self-contradiction in his nature, his essence, and proclamations. Yeah, so assuming this perfect concept, you have no ability to show that it exists or that the one in the Bible is this concept. It shows what exists. God exists? Yeah. Without him, nothing makes sense. Uh, you have to assume the laws of logic first. Yes, I do. And then you assume God is the source of these laws. No, I don't say he's a source. So what, what creates them? Nothing creates them. So do they define God? No. Okay, well, how is that? Because God can't contradict himself. He's not the source. The laws of logic aren't sourced in God. They are part of God's nature, which is eternal. You don't understand Christian theology. Yeah, I do. So no, you they don't. Are, maybe not your garbled version, but... Um, um, excuse me. What was that? Maybe not your garbled version. Excuse me. I've got a master's of divinity. I've been teaching Christian theology for 41 years. I've got thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of hours yeah, of experience so answering questions. And yet you say that I have a garbled understanding. I'll tell you what. Yes, why don't you define, you're contradicting yourself. Why don't you define what the Christian God is? 
define the define the Christian Trinitarian God. Tell us what that is, since you say I'm wrong. Let's see what you know. Uh, nah. No? Yeah, that's going to waste time, because we both know. Triune God, Jesus, creator of the universe. What else do you want me to say? He's a, he's a personal so, God. Obviously, you don't understand what you're criticizing. There's a lot of aspects to your God, which is why saying that he's just the truth or something like that isn't good enough. I and and so, so, um, so just assuming – so if – if the laws of logic are a part of God, then they are absolutely sourced in God. That's why I'm calling your version garbled, because that doesn't make any sense. It might be your version, your theology, but it doesn't make any sense. Because, yeah, because if you it, don't understand if logic. If it comes from God, if it's a part of God, and then it applies to his creation, then it's sourced in God. I mean, that, that may be a semantical argument. You may use a different word, but that's what I mean. So the issue is the part of God's nature and God is, so therefore the laws of logic are, and they reflect his character. He's not, they're not a source as though they did not have a time of, of non-existence, and then they became existent as a source. We don't teach that. But again, I can just say that about nature or some other God, and I've done just as much work as you have, which is none. Well, I'm talking to you about what the Christian God is, since you're arguing with a Christian apologist. Yes. So don't you, think you ought, don't you think you ought to know what it is you're criticizing? Yeah, and I do. I'm telling you, you don't. Um, just because I'm pointing out problems and holes in your concepts doesn't no. mean I don't understand it. You haven't pro pointed out any problems. I asked you to define the Trinitarian God, and you don't know it. I did, what did I miss? Define for me what the Trinity is. It's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the is God come to earth. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is how God communicates with us it gives us grace the father yes. is the creator <clears throat> what you said can be affirmed by the cults of mormonism jehovah's witnesses uh, also roman catholicism sabellians oneness pentecostals so you, it's so broad you don't know what it is i suggest you go to my website and look up what the trinity is i'll tell you what it is one god one eternal being and three simultaneous distinct persons that's the, the yeah. short version of it and you didn't know that and I, of I course could I did. That's what the triune God means. That's, yeah, you didn't know. Yes, and I you, did. That's what triune God means. Look, and I'm I'm quite knowledgeable on the doctrine of the Trinity. Written yeah. many articles so I, on it. I, I so know you don't what know you're criticizing. Means. No, you don't. Yeah, I know that and you so, believe that there's three persons in one God. I know what a triune God is. Now that I've said it, now you're backtracking. So uh, no, that's just <laughs> just obvious. That's what triune so, God means. So you know my perspective. I'm a Christian. And I hold to the Trinitarian view of God and the biblical revelation. Let's try it one more time. What's your perspective you argue from? Atheist, agnostic, deist, theist, what are you? We both start from the same place, that if the laws of logic hold true, then we can use them to make logical inferences. I can That's justify, my worldview. That's it. I can justify the laws of logic and let it be known that people can see that can. you're afraid to tell me from what perspective you're operating. That's the perspective okay. I'm operating from. Yeah. No, I asked you. I'm not using God. I just asked you specifically, what's your worldview? Because your worldviews are preconditions for what you believe about the laws of logic. My worldview is that the laws of logic that we can intelligent, uh, we can perceive the laws of logic. So you're a naturalist. Pretty accurately. You're a naturalist. Not necessarily. I'm a methodological naturalist. 
Oh, so you assume naturalism, methodological nope. naturalism. No, nope. yeah, you assume methodological no, I, naturalism. No, I only use that as a model. Is you wait? Are you saying you're using a model that you don't agree with? Uh, no. You do you understand the difference between naturalism, methodological naturalism? Yes, naturalism is the idea that the only thing that exists is the natural physical world. Methodological naturalism doesn't acknowledge that that is the case, but that it argues from a certain perspective that you can use that belief and argue from it. No, it's a method. Yes, it only uses natural right. things. It right. doesn't That's say it, it doesn't say that naturalism is the only thing that exists. I just said That's, that. Okay, all right. It doesn't assume that. I it works from the perspective. It doesn't necessitate that. It doesn't work from the perspective, no. It just so, only uses that mind. So you assume methodological naturalism, which means you assume certain views of naturalism, which is self-refuting. No. Yes. No, I don't assume yes. methodological naturalism. It's you just not, said you did. It's not a belief, and I don't. So do you, would you assume anything? What do you assume? I try not to. That's so what do you point. what do you verify as being true? Things that I can see. So, so can you see so my to, mind? No. How do you uh, know my mind exists? Because you're thinking different things than me, things that I would never think. How do you know that this is in the world in sol solipsism? Well, if you're if you're whatever fragmented part of my mind is so different from this experience that I'm experiencing as myself, then it might as well be a different mind. So then what you'd say is you're, if it's solipsism is true and your mind's the only thing, then you're arguing with yourself, which means you're contradicting yourself. Yeah, which means that it might as well just be a different mind. Okay. You want to ask me any questions? If it's so different, then it's not really this thing that I'm identifying as. Do you uh, want to try and ask me any questions? Yeah. How do you know perception and rationality are accurate or reliable? They're uh, accurate and reliable insofar as they agree with the revelation of God in Scripture. But that's just, just begging the question. So don't you have a problem with that? I don't have any problem with it any more than you do when you're begging the question. I'm not, though. Yes, you do. You beg the question no. when you assume the laws of logic being true by which you can say someone else is begging the question. Nope. Um, yes. I, so let's go back to methodological naturalism. It's not a belief. It is a method. There's a difference. You assume the method. I assume – no, that doesn't make sense. Uh, uh, do you I assume use, the validity of the method or is it I method use the method. invalid? I use the method. Is it valid or invalid? It seems to be valid. So you assume so the validity of, of the method. So both of us could be ranting mad crazy and just not, not know what we're doing. But it seems like you just assume you're not and you're fine with that. So you assume methodological naturalism. How do you know it's the right way to go? You don't assume methodological naturalism. You could assume naturalism. You said you... You don't assume a method. It is something you use. Do you assume that what you use is the right thing to use? Uh, well, if it's the only thing that you, uh, provides results, then it's the best thing we can use. It's the best but because... No, I don't assume it. I can verify it. So it provides results. How do you know the results are correct? If the model allows me to accomplish the goal, then the model accurately describes whatever I'm living in, even if it's a simulation. So you don't know if you exist, or if you're here or there, or anything's true or not true. It'll all be imagination, right? Neither do you. No, I, 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 no you don't. Just by assuming a belief that yes, in God doesn't mean you know it. 
So your perspective, I don't agree with your perspective, but your perspective leads to self-doubt, unassurance, subjectivism, and self-refutation. Nope. Yes, because you can't know anything for sure. Even the fact that you don't even know anything you believe is for sure. This is what you're arguing from. Yeah. Well, it doesn't lead to uh, self-doubt, really. How do you know? Are you absolutely sure? It leads to some doubts. Are you absolutely sure it leads to some doubts? Yeah, because I doubt. Okay. Um, I'm sure you doubt some things. Uh, Yeah, I doubt doubt some things. But that's actually a much better method than what you do, which is just blind faith, which can lead to any conclusion. Can you tell me what blind faith is? Uh, You're just you just have uh, trust in something without reason. Trust in something without reason. Mm -hmm. Really? Yes. Um, Have you gone to my website at all? Nope. So did you know who I am beforehand? Uh, A little bit. So you didn't even bother to research who I am and what I do a little bit? I just said a little bit. So you don't know that I know about evidences? Historical if you say things like evidences, you probably don't. So the fact is that I have studied all kinds of stuff. Logic. Yeah, me too. Logic, philosophy, Mm -hmm. biblical evidence, the original languages, Uh, historicity. Can we stop wasting time on uh, just saying I know things and just actually show you how you know it? Well, I asked you to define what blind faith was. Okay, so what's your rebuttal? Well, what is blind faith again? Trust in something without reason. Trust in something without reason. So what makes you think that I have no reason for what I believe in? I haven't heard one from any apologist ever. So it has to be reasonable? Yes. Is an experience uh, a sufficient grounds for believing something? Um, no, not necessarily. No. So if you put your hand on the hot stove and it burns you, is that experience a good enough reason for you to believe that you shouldn't touch the stove anymore? You have faith that stoves are hot? Okay. Uh, it's not faith. It's not but faith? If, but if you have some sort of um, experience with a God and with a, the Christian God, and then someone else has an experience with uh, Krishna or Allah, then we know that those experiences are not reliable. Okay. So um, you don't know the biblical definition of faith. You don't know. You keep yeah, arguing against. Pistis. Okay. So that's the Greek word for faith. Mm-hmm. Um, the stuo is the verb form. And so uh, are you aware in John 10, 25 through 28, Doubting Thomas, famous Doubting Thomas, I won't believe unless I can see and touch. Jesus appears to him and says, put your hand into my side, put your, uh, your finger into my hand, now believe. Jesus himself gave the evidence and said to believe. Now, do you think that evidence of Jesus' resurrection in this account is uh, sufficient evidence to believe? That some account. book says that it happened? No. I didn't say some book. In this account, what it is in the Bible, in the Bible, what it is is Jesus is saying, here's the evidence. Look at my hand. Look at my feet. Put your hand into my side. See, it's me. Now believe. Is that just blind faith? Yeah, because there's all kinds of fiction that says stuff. I don't believe it's true. Okay. So, no, it, that's the biblical model. Is that biblical model blind faith? If a guy walked up to me and was bleeding from his side and his arms and feet, I still wouldn't believe that he was resurrected because you can get stabbed and still be alive. Um, okay. But we don't even know that this account happened. 
Okay. I didn't say whether it was or was not true. I just said from that biblical perspective, because you're arguing with a Christian who has a biblical perspective. I'm not going to assume your biblical perspective when I'm I criticizing that that biblical perspective. Is I didn't wrong. ask. I didn't ask you to. I said inside of it, from what it says inside, that's not blind faith. Correct. Incorrect. Because okay. if, if your model contradicts itself and it contradicts reality, I'm not going to just and just accept the, the by dogma that it's correct, even though it contradicts itself. Can you show me where it, the Bible contradicts itself? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of ways. But show me one. If you're going to say if you're going to say that it's not blind faith to just trust some guy who has a stab wound and holes in his hands and feet that he's God. That's a contradiction because that is blind faith. Blind faith after Thomas saw the hands, the holes in his wrist, that's where it was, and his side, the ripped out beard from his face. And then Thomas says, the Lord of me and the God of me to Jesus. This isn't blind faith. This is Thomas conversion and belief after seeing the evidence. That's not what blind faith is. Uh, yeah, those, those aren't fatal wounds. What what is wrong with you? You can live through that. You can live through it? Oh yeah, people were taken down off the cross and they lived. Did you know that in the Roman culture that if a man or a criminal escaped or the the sentence was not carried out on the criminal, the Roman soldier guard took his place. They took a sword and they went up into his side and blood and water came out, which means the heart had stopped beating because the plasma had started separating because there's no circulation. That's how they tested whether to know that he was dead and they were going to break his leg so he couldn't stretch up and breathe anymore. But they didn't do that because they knew he was dead. That's what their job was, was to crucify and to know he was dead. They knew he was dead. Now, he rose from the dead. The disciples saw that he was dead. And Thomas says this, and you're saying it's just blind faith. You so have no clue what you're talking about. So if you're reasonably sure that someone had died and then they showed up and <clears throat> did not appear to be dead anymore, is it a better assumption that you were wrong and they weren't actually dead? Or is it a better assumption that they're actually a magical god? A magical god? Where do you get magical god from? Gods are magic. Gods and magic? What, what, do you believe in magic now? No, you believe in magic. I do? Define yes. me with what, what's magic? Magic is a suspension of the laws of physics. And so God the laws that we know about. Oh, so then if you don't know about laws and God does something, it doesn't mean it's magic, does it? Well, uh, the way that it seems that your God works is he just speaks it and it's true. So there seems to be no mechanistic explanation. He just says it and it's true. That's that's magic. There's there's no it's difference magic. between what you're proposing. <clears throat> And the magic of a fairy who spreads dust on someone and they just wake up and they're alive again. Oh. So God, who, according to the scriptures, has infinite power, infinite knowledge, can speak by the exertion of his will and bring things into existence out of the energy of his essence. That's just magic? Magic is the power of influencing the course of events with mysterious or supernatural forces. Oh, okay. You believe, that, so, you so believe God is, is supernatural, don't you? No, no, no. That's called sorcery. You need to study. That sorcery, mag no, that's magic. That's the English definition of magic, by the way. 
sorcery is trying to do certain things in order to get a certain spiritual result and a certain necessary result out of there. That's sorcery. But remember, you're the one who sides with Satan and says a snake, which is represented by Satan, is true. So what you have done is you have sided with the evil one and God's judgment is on you. This is me, the preacher, talking to you. The judgment yeah, of God is upon you. That, I'm interested this is my time. I can tell you because the morality that you have is from the devil himself. You've been judged. You're under so, this. So knowing good and evil, that's uh, that's evil. How do you know what evil is or what good is? How do you know? Because, um, well, if we use logic, we can figure it out pretty easily. Okay, good. Figure it out for me. Figure out uh, um, how good and evil work, what they are by nature, what is good, what is evil. Tell me how you find the ontological essence of good and evil using that's logic. Pr that's pretty easy because I don't just assume that a god did it. You okay. are you are utterly incapable of doing it because you're not capable. You just take it on faith that God said it. It's good. That's it. We're done. That's a stunted view of morality. You have no way of knowing whether the nature of some god what if it's an evil God that has powers? What if it's Satan coming to you and saying, I am God? You have no idea whether his proclamations are good or not. And well, actually you do, but you're just, you've actually um, prevented yourself from doing that. Look, because, all you're oh, doing oh, is you're trying to cover your tracks here and not go down a blind alley, which I'm trying to no, lead no, you I'm down. Preempting the fact so how that do you, you know can't do what I'm about to do? I'm, how? I'm preempting the fact that you can't do what I'm about to do. So I'm, I can. I can justify things. You can't. Define for me what is good and evil. All you say is it's God's nature. No. Define so me. I asked you. And then what you yeah. do is you ignore the question. You go, you, Matt. Wait a minute. I'm asking you. You're the one who said yeah, that I'm we can use logic. We can use logic to define good and evil. You said it. I'm responding off what you said. So please tell me, how do you define what is good and evil? Yeah, I'm pre preempting the fact that you can't do what I'm about to do because you just stop at God's nature. I'm actually able to understand what God's nature would be because God would have reasons such as God would have to have rational justification for everything he does. And the way God would do this is... Well, right. What is uh, evil and good? It's right and wrong. That's it. Correct and incorrect. And so what is morality derived from? It's derived from existence. Um, and we can figure that out with rationality and logic. So for the English definition of good, for something to be good, it has to exist. And the question is, what is it good for? So something has to exist in order to be good for anything. Total nothingness is bad at everything because it can't do anything. So the nature of good lies in existence. So existence is good. And what we can do is say, if existence is good, by definition, and since existence does exist, it ought to exist. I also have derived an ought from an is. That'll, that's pretty easy, too. Um, so a moral ought simply indicates an obligation or the correctness of something. Um, Existence ought to exist. It does exist. And what we can do is essentially derive the principle of freedom, which is derived logically from existence itself. So if existence is good, then we just maximize that principle. The more things that can coexist, the more things that are good. So if it has some function and has properties, it's good for those things. And so if you have the, the more stuff you have coexisting, we can call that freedom because that gives you more options at the same time. Are you tracking? 
I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. Because <clears throat> I, I just, I love this stuff. Uh, I mean, this is great. So this is, you know? so this is what a god would do. I may be off on a couple of things, point out maybe where I've done things wrong. But if there is a god, a god would be having to do this kind of stuff. He would have to be saying, okay, how can I justify what is good? What is good? What is good to God? You can't answer. I can. Why would God choose this particular thing to be good over another? Is it just random? Did he just decide one day, oh, well, I like people for no reason? Or does he have a reason for it? This is what this is an attempt to answer. What reasons would a perfect being have for saying one thing is good and another thing is not good? And you can't do it because you stop way short of it. Um, <clears throat> all right. So I took some notes out of what you said, um, which is uh, problematic in a lot of areas. Uh, you keep assi assigning things to me, and you're not accurate in that. You're the one who said you could tell us what good and evil was. I asked you to do that, and then you went on some kind of a rambling uh, thing, bouncing off of different concepts, trying to make things uh, make sense. Pretty simple. It was only a few sentences long. Well, real quick, stick. I just want to make uh, equal time. Um, go ahead, Matt. Uh, you said uh, you can understand what God's nature is. Wow. You actually said that. I can understand what God's nature is. That's that's impressive. Okay. Uh, wow. You can understand his omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, his holiness. You can understand that. Wow. Um, and you said he would have to have a rational justification for everything he does. So now you're saying that God must answer to your logical requirement. Nope. Uh, that's what you just said. He nope. asked. Yes, you did. I'm no, I didn't. I'll reiterate, but I'll give you some more time. I'm just saying I didn't do that. You keep interrupting. I, I let you speak. You, I wrote it down. I wrote down what you said. I typed very quickly. Uh, he'd have to have a rational justification for everything he does. That's what you said. All right. And uh, that's, no, I don't agree with that. Uh, so you are saying that God has to have a justification outside of himself by which he then ab abides by. You, again, don't understand the Christian God. You really fail to understand him. I'm willing to help you understand him, but you're not getting him. You said God has to exist. And that's what I didn't get that. Here's a quote. Total nothingness is bad at everything because it can't do anything. Close quote. I typed that out. It's exactly what you said. Total nothingness is bad at everything because it can't do anything. So how could it be bad at everything if it can't do anything? Doesn't make any sense. You said existence is good by definition. Well, you haven't defined what good is uh, what, or even what existence is. If something is good, we maximize the principle. How do you know if it's good? You don't have a standard. We must, the more stuff coexists, we call it good. I'm like, what the heck? Uh, that which, this is what a God would do. He would have to justify what is good. Who are you to sit there and say what God has to do? Wow. You don't even assume the validity of the laws of logic, though you use them. You can't ground anything that you talk like you do. You beg the question, but then say you don't. You are a walking set of contradictions. You, it's amazing to me. You say God's goodness is random or his reasons is random, like he likes people for no reason. We, the Christian would never say that. The knowledgeable Christian would never say anything like that. 
We don't ever yeah. say that God does things for no reason. Uh, yeah, God I think you're not understanding because I didn't God. say that. I wrote down what you said. You absolutely did not because I didn't say that. God would not do that. Okay. I said oh. you would not do that okay. because Good. God has to be rational. Okay. Don't you agree God has to be rational? God has to be true? He has to be. He is. Same same thing. No, it's not. Okay. So no if, he, if, he was, if he was irrational, would he be God? Under no. your Exactly. No. That's that's all I'm saying. But you don't understand the nuance of the difference in the in the language. He doesn't have to be as those are some external cause. He simply is rational. Why? Because it's nature. Why? Is it just random or is there some reason why rationality is good? Do you understand the concept of the Christian God's aseity and eternality and what's called immutability? I understand what you believe. I'm pointing out that it doesn't make sense. What do I believe about the aseity of God then, if you understand what I believe? Because it doesn't make sense that you would that he would just be something. What is the aseity of God? If you say you understand, I gave you these words, aseity and immutability. You said, I understand what you believe about him. Okay, then tell me what I believe about God's aseity. <sighs> you don't know. How about God's, uh, what, what does it mean for uh, God being, to be immutable? What does that mean? The aseity of God is um, don't look it up tell me don't look it up i'm not i'm trying to figure out how to tell this to you because it's you're not getting it so something that just is what it is for no reason that's a flawed concept that's the problem with um the aseity of god the immutability of God, that's unchanging of God. Good. Immutability means his character, his essence, his nature are unchanging, which means he's always eternally what he is. That's mm -hmm. the Christian perspective. To yeah, say I'm there's a reason for him would say there's a reason he came into existence, which is not the Christian perspective. I understand that, but that's a flawed concept. That's what I'm trying to point out. Why is it flawed? Because that means that there is no reason for why God is the way it is, and he's just, and therefore, if he doesn't have a reason, then it's reasonless, it's irrational, by definition, and it's random. If there's Are not a saying? reason, it's just random, and it could be anything. If God's nature just happened to be kill the babies, then you'd be fine with that because it's God's. No, nature. I wouldn't. Um, really? Okay, so that that's <clears throat> what I think. Because, well, it's obviously you, you, you don't know. So you're saying that God has a, has a reason for coming into existence? Is that what you're saying? No, he has a reason for the way his nature is. Well, do you think God would, if he exists, could reveal that to him, to us? Uh, probably. Okay. He says from everlasting to everlasting, I am God. That's it. He just yeah, is. Anyone can say that. No. You don't well, I can say it. It's obviously not true. You don't know the difference between someone who's just saying that or a God who's saying that or a false God who's saying that. That's the point. Any false God could lie to you. And as long as it's using the right name, you'd believe it. No, that's not true. How do you how, know? How do you know? So how would you distinguish the difference? I trust the God of the scriptures. But how, but the one that's deceiving you is claiming to be the God of the scriptures. Really? In this hypothetical. 
So how do you know the God of the scriptures is deceiving you then, if that's the case? Since you believe in the deceiver himself. Well, you wouldn't. I don't believe in the deceiver, no. Yeah, you do. You're, you said your snake was right. So you're uh, out of Genesis believe... 3. You affirm the satanic view. Well, now you're uh, taking my viewpoint out of context. So I'm you not said looking the snake at it. is right. I'm not looking at it from your perspective that the snake is Satan and an evil being. I'm looking at it as knowledge of good and evil is a good thing. How do you know that's good? Because if you don't know what's good and what's evil, you can't figure out what good is. Exactly. So how do you know what's good? You would have to know in this example or just in general. What we're talking about here. You said the snake is the one that's right. You would believe the snake is the hero of the story, which is what you said. You affirm that Satan is the one who's good. No, and now you're, you're affirming. Mixing. Now you're mixing narratives. I don't see it from your perspective. Why are you saying from the biblical perspective the snake was right? It's not from the biblical perspective. It's well, which snake are you talking about? It's from it is the, the Bible. Bible. It is yes, the Bible, biblical perspective. But it's a different interpretation. No, it's not from the biblical perspective. It's a different interpretation than you are using, but you're mixing the two interpretations. Where's the snake mentioned in the Bible? Genesis. First. Genesis what? I don't know. Three. Okay. So is that where you're getting your reference from? Yeah. So it's you're getting a biblical reference. Yeah, but it's not from a biblical worldview. You can look at the biblical stories as fiction. You can look at them as allegories. You can look at them as metaphors. Or you can look at them as literal truths. And then even then, Christians argue on what it really means. A lot of scholars will say the snake was not Satan. It was the sin of mankind or it was something else. Well, so uh, the Genesis 3, 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. So the serpent was the one who cast doubt on the truth of God. That's, That's a good thing. Do. It's a good thing to question oh. God. Okay. So it's a good thing to question the infinite holy being. Yes. How do you know it's good? How do I know what's good? To question the infinitely holy being. You said that was good to do that. How do you know that's good? Oh, because otherwise you could be being tricked by an evil being who's claiming you... to be the infinite holy being. How would you know that? You would have to use uh, logic of if they're contradicting themselves, if they're trying to lie to you like God does in Genesis. So you assume the validity of the laws of logic. No. You don't assume the validity of the laws of logic when you use logic to try and validate God's truth? If they work, which are the only things we can use, they're the only tools we have, if they're true, then yes, this follows. Okay. <clears throat> um, in all seriousness, I, I've just, I haven't met anybody who's as illogical and inconsistent as you. It's, it's just dumbfounding to me. Yeah, yeah. I'm, it is. I'm the script stopper. So you can't explain why, how, or justify how you understand the validity of your logic. You just assume it. You oh, don't you understand can. how. My world, you can account for it. No, it can't. Yes, it can. No, it can't. Just Ask claiming. how. I can do that the same as you do. I can do as little work as you do and say, well, my worldview accounts for it just by definition. That's no, all I have to do. I didn't do that. 
That's all you I do. said. I said, if the Christian God is assumed in that, and his nature is he's in all places at all time and the necessary precondition for intelligibility, that logic is an abstraction which occurs in the mind, sort of property of the physical realm because it has transcendental qualities, the best assumption is to say that there's a transcendental mind behind all of this. And that transcendental mind is best reflected in the Trinitarian God, which also can account for the one and the many distinction. If you know about monism and pluralism and the nature of essence and how we can know things. Now we have particular issues about what exists and what doesn't exist in particularities. We get into kind of platonic norms if you want to get into that. Christianity can do this. I can talk about this. No. To say it doesn't just demonstrates to me, even yet again, you're ignorant about Christian theology and phil philosophical issues related to Christianity. No, you just assume Let that is true. Snake, I'll, I'll let you finish your sentence. Um, the timer just went off. It's been about an hour of discussion. Uh, we've got a lively chat. It's been a great show. We've got over 105 people in the chat loving this. Uh, it's up to you guys. Do you guys want to? It's been an over an hour of dialogue. Did you want to sum up your points? Do you want to continue? I don't want you guys to feel like you have to stop now, but it has been an hour and we got some questions. Listen, I'm audience. going with questions. That's good. It's okay. up to you. Okay, why don't we do this just so you guys feel like we're not just abruptly stopping the dialogue. Why don't you each take a minute? I know Snake, you're about to say something. So take a minute or two, wrap up your thoughts, wrap up your points uh, in terms of how the dialogue went. And then we will jump right into some questions. Yeah. So just saying ahead, that you Snake. have a worldview. Yeah. Just saying you have a worldview that accounts for rationality and logic doesn't account for it. I can just say that too. I can say my worldview accounts for rationality and logic. So I don't have to explain it. So that's what you do. I actually attempt to explain it. Um, so, and it gets to the actual important questions of how does God know what's good and what's evil? And if God is rational, then, and we're rational, then we can both come to some of the same conclusions in the same way. And that's all I'm trying to say. All right. Thank you, Snake. Uh, Matt, if you had a few points uh, just to sum up the dialogue, go ahead. Uh, he's all over the place, doesn't know logic, can't ground anything, begs the question, uh, misunderstands the laws of logic, their nature, their essence, uh, misrepresents my position, doesn't understand the Christian perspective. He needs to study a lot more. Okay, well, thanks from the both of you. I got to say, this was definitely a debate to remember. Uh, very enjoyable. We got a ton of questions, so we could probably do a Q&A for the next four hours. What I'll do, because there are some after shows, I am going to put a timer for 20 minutes. We'll get through as many questions as possible. Feel free, gentlemen, if you guys have, uh, for example, if the comment is for you or the question is for you, Snake, and Matt has something to say, go ahead. We'll just give the uh, whoever the question was for gets the last word. So I've got them all saved here on my phone. Let me grab, grab them real quick. Uh, thank you, everybody, for the support and the super chats. Okay, so let's get through here. Uh, we've got George Bond, $5 super chat, says, just, be just because. So thank you for the super chat and the support. Caleb Kismet, $10 super chat, says, Good to see Matt Slick here. So Matt, you've got some, uh, you got some fans. Okay. Well, that's at least two then. Good. <laughs> okay. So we've got our first actual question is from Godzilla Freak. Thank you so much, Godzilla Freak. Question for Snake: Are you a Platonic realist? 
I don't know. Platonic realism. I hope I said. I don't I'm know what platonic right. realism is. Okay, no problem. I'll look it up real quick. Uh, Say if I. Uh, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll move on to the next super chat while you're doing that, or maybe Godzilla Freak, if he's in the chat, can uh, reiterate his question in more of an understandable way. So, Nightmare five dollars super chat says SFT for the win. I appreciate it. Moderator always wins, apparently. Okay, so here's a question. Hate, love, nothing. Question for Snake. Question is, what ultimately stops you from committing atrocities? What is your worldview? Can you quantify the immaterial? Uh, my worldview is that uh, logic and rationality is what works. And the only thing that we can use, um, obviously, we can doubt those. It's good to doubt those. Um, what was the first part of the question? Uh, let me see. Go back to it. What ultimately stops you from committing atrocities? Oh, because uh, atrocities are uh, incorrect. So I have pride in myself to be correct. So I don't do them. So here is uh, Godzilla Freak expands on his question. Says... Platonic realism means you think abstract objects really exist. Abstract objects as in things like propositions, truths, numbers, etc. So if you'd like to answer it, Snake, yeah, go ahead. Um, they exist in some sense. Yeah, like the does the number two exist somewhere out there? I guess it just requires a clarity of language that I don't really have right now. Um, but there are, there can be two things that is a real concept, even if it's not material. Um, but these things can, can be, what I do know is that they can be coded into language and we can talk about them. So uh, they, they must have some kind of truth in them. I appreciate the response, Matt. If you had anything to say or comment or respond to, go ahead. No, that's okay. Go ahead. Next question. Okay, no problem. Okay, next question is from In Whom We Have Redemption Through Christ. Okay, thank you for your question. Question is for the evolutionist. So that would be Snake. Would you call yourself an ape? And if so, do apes, for example, chimps, gorillas, in the zoo know what is right and know what is wrong? Uh, yes, we are apes, whether we're related to the rest of the great apes or not. Um, by definition, just the same as we're mammals. Um, and uh, do apes know what's right and wrong? No, I'm sure they have a, an intuition that is right sometimes, but they don't really have, a, I don't think they have the clarity of mind to really analyze what's right and wrong, but they, they do have emotions that can you know, caring for their children and they, they do have a sense of fairness, uh, but they're not really, I don't think they're aware of it very much. <clears throat> to assume uh, evolution is, is uh, to beg the question in so many areas. Uh, there are problems in evolution. I'm working a lot of, of, of cases on that. Uh, dating methods are, is the Achilles heel of, of evolution. We can talk about it sometime. That's I'm, actually the strongest part, but um, 
No, it's not. Carbon 12, 13, and 14. Carbon 12 and carbon 13 are are stable. Carbon well, 14 is not, has a half-life yeah. of 5,730 years. It should not even exist after 100,000 years in anything that's biological um, at all. Once it's died, uh, the carbon-14 half-life means after 90, they just give it 100,000. No carbon-14 will exist at all, yet it's found in diamonds, which take millions of years, coal shales, which take millions of years to form. Uh, you can't explain how that gets in there and, you know, with an old Earth model and other things. There's, there's, there's issues. Radiometric dating methods, methods, uh, plutonium, uh, I think thorium and U two thirty eight yield different levels of ages, uh, millions and millions and millions of years of difference. There's all kinds of problems. We could talk about some of it sometime. Yeah, well, seeing as how um, you don't understand how half lives work, and you're trying to use carbon dating to talk about evolution, I don't think you know what you're talking about. But I'd be glad to have that conversation. Sure. All right. Well. Uh, that would definitely be an interesting debate at some point in the future. So, guys, thanks for keeping it interesting. Uh, super chat from SWE. Thank you so much for the super chat. This question is for you, Matt. Is okay. God beholden to the laws of logic or was God illogical before he invented them? He didn't invent them. It's not a Christian perspective. They are part and parcel of his eternal nature and his essence. So if you're going to if you're going to ask the question, I tell people at least understand our position before you posit a question that's not based on the Christian perspective. Yeah, I think that's just a way to dodge the spirit of the question. It's not a question that reflects the Christian perspective. In its technicalities, but it's a way to dodge the spirit of the question. <clears throat> it does not properly reflect Christian theology. That's like saying, no, I know what your dodge is, but uh, the question you say whatever is you trying, want. The question is trying to get to um, how the nature, the nature of the relationship between God and logic. God's nature is the foundation for logic. It exists because God's mind exists. It's universal because God is universal. That's the perspective. It, he didn't invent the laws of logic. When people yeah. say God invented them, they under they what they're doing is telling us they don't understand the Christian perspective. Yeah, but and that and the reason that why so many people uh, find that very incoherent is because God would need to use logic in order to design the laws of logic or to have it part of His uh, nature. You said that it's part of God's nature, but God would need them in order for them to be a part of Him. So, uh, let me jump in here real quick. Uh, question. Okay, as long as you're done uh, speaking, Snake. Since this question was for Matt, we'll give Matt the last word, and we'll move on to the next. Last word about, well, I, I'm serious. Taylor doesn't understand the issues he's criticizing. It's just, you know, it, it's, it's, he doesn't understand. He's not know what he's Yeah. No, okay. you're not. You just don't know enough to know you don't know enough. I'm trying to be nice, but it's, that's the, that's the case. All right, guys, let's move on. I to don't the next question. Uh, when I don't know. <laughs> Guys, thanks for keeping it lively. Definitely uh, been a fun one. Uh, question from Lena Powell. Question is for Snake. Does Snake agree that observations themselves depend on a network of theoretical assumptions? Uh, depend on a network of theoretical assumptions? No. Yes. Observations. Uh, to, to claim that they're correct might. But no, like animals can observe things without any assumptions at all. 
and so can we. But but when we talk about them, when we're talking about ontology or epistemology, we have to. Well, unless we want to start at the very, very beginning, we do start with assumptions, but those assumptions can be justified later. Okay, unless you had a response there, Matt, we can move on to the next one. Uh, our observations are the things we use logic uh, on to interpret. Um, and so that's different than the animals. They don't do that. So the assumptions are that uh, when we rationalize about them, we assume certain uh, validities, certain like uniformity of nature. We assume that. Animals don't assume it. They just observe, but they're mechanical. We aren't like that. There's the difference. It's really worth a, a good discussion on nature and difference between us and creatures. Well, animals. a lot of animals are able to rationalize abstract concepts. They're just probably not, uh, they don't have a good concept of mind. Um, to think about their own thoughts, but they are very capable of rationalizing um, things like material geometric things. <clears throat> wow. Right. As long yeah, as you got have, have you ever seen a, raisin, a raven or a dog solve a puzzle, a complex puzzle? That hmm. requires rationalization. How do you know? Well, if the question line is going back to how do you know anything, then we've already discussed that. Now, how do you know a raven is doing rationalization? It's not some instinctive thing that helps them. How do you know there's a difference? Because they have to create a model of reality in their mind in order to change the real, in order to manipulate the reality. So they're just perceiving it. Yeah. So you don't know. Yeah, but, what they're, but they're perceiving something that is not there. It's in their. They're creating a model in their mind. If you're solving a puzzle, something that's not there. If you're solving a puzzle, you have to know what the end goal end goal state is, which is not actually in front of them. Oh, you mean they're perceiving something in the goal? That's what you mean. That's not there yet. There. Uh, yeah, that's, that, one, that's, that's one aspect. Yeah. My cats do that. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, lots of animals do that. Do they understand the concept of A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C? No. Okay, I'm just checking. All right, good. They're, they're not very good at rationalizing, but they can do a lot of it. All right, why don't we... Get why don't we end it there? Snake, it was your question, so we'll give you the last word on that to be fair. Next question here, another super chat from SWE. I appreciate it. You're uh, putting my kids through college. So this question is, again, for Matt. <laughs> so we've got a uh, question for Matt. If the laws of morality slash logic are reflection of God's nature, then couldn't God's nature been possibly different with a different logic and a different morality? I think it's a very good question. I really do. Um, but we can't answer the question because we would have to be able to touch, acquire, obtain other issues of knowledge related to the very nature context of God's existence, which we can't do. And I think the question is a, is a fun question. I don't believe it's, it's a, an answerable one uh, because people say, oh, God's outside of time. I tell them, don't do that. Don't say that because we don't know what it means to be outside of time. 
but we do know that God relates, the Christian God relates to us, the creation of the world differently than we do. We don't understand how that works. We don't understand how God's nature can be eternal. We don't understand how he can be non-contingent. We just see the revelation of God's existence in the word as describing that. And we don't have the ability, and nobody does, to be able to say, well, this is how we can validate God in any way, because to do so, is to actually beg the question by assuming the validity of the laws of logic by which we would then judge God, but we can't justify them without, ultimately without saying God's existence is a necessary precondition for them. And it becomes a circular problem. And uh, believe it or not, I've actually thought about these things before. And uh, it's, a, it's, it's problematic within the Christian faith because God does not reveal that about himself. And even if he did, I don't think he could, because I don't think we're capable of understanding uh, his nature and his essence in that way. And no, Tony, God is not capricious. That means you'd be arbitrary. God is never arbitrary since he works all things after the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1.11. And since he knows all things, 1 John 3.20, then he has perfectly uh, perfect reasons for what it is he does. We just don't know them. Okay. And yet you just assume that they're all perfect reasons, but you you surrender your hands, you throw your hands up and say, well, we can't have any way of rationalizing whether they're right or wrong or not. Even though we can rationalize and God, all of God's edicts would be based on rationalized justifications. Again, you're not, you say you can't uh, figure those out. Again, you're not understanding the Christian perspective. I'm pointing out the inconsistencies and incoherence of the Christian perspective. No, if you don't understand the Christian perspective and you attack something that isn't the Christian perspective, then you're not doing what you think you're doing. Yeah. Okay, well, Again, awesome. I've said it a hundred times. Okay, we'll give the last word on that one to Matt since that was his question. So next question, though, is for you, Snake. So question is from Gavin. Gavin Hurleyman asks, question for Snake. Do you know that at your age, your brain is not anatomically fully developed yet? <laughs> yeah, he doesn't know my age. So I don't know how he's saying that. He's guessing it. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. Sorry, because I could laugh at that because I understand what the – but then he could come back and say, yeah, but you're 64. You've been deteriorating for a while. I go, that's true. So, you know, <laughs> that's true. I get a kick out of that one. Well, in that case, if, if uh, Gavin's coming at you there, Snake, you get uh, uh, the final word there, and we'll move on to the next one. Yeah, I mean, that's one of many reasons I don't give people my age. <laughs> All right, let's go to the next one. So, uh, SWE, another $5 super chat. Thank you so much. Um, more of a statement for Matt, but you respond as however you'd like to. SWE says, but Jesus also said, blessed are those who do not see yet believe. Yeah, what about it? That's true. Yeah, there you go. Amen, no SWE. Yeah, but see, that's just only one of the aspects. Faith is not something that just blind faith. You know, and so we have, I could go into this. I could show you prophetic stuff in the Old Testament fulfilled in the New Testament. I can go through what's called the universal probability bound, go through mathematics, permutability. I can go through gematria patterns in the New Testament. I can go through all kinds of, I can spend an hour just showing you things that are odd in the scriptures that are beyond the ability of just randomness and just happens to be that way. And it's just some other book. It's not. And so people who have knowledge about this, you know, it's not a, just an abstract thing. My conversion experience was incredible. 
and nobody could ever deny it, and I don't deny it. But, you know, I have reasons for what I believe because of the revelation of God to me personally. That sounds weird, but I'll tell you. I'll just tell you. Man, when I was saved, it was a dramatic experience of the presence of God. Well, is that proof? No, it's not proof. But you see, God doesn't just say arbitrarily, hey, believe. Why? There's no evidence. Just be blind about it. No. We trust in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God in flesh. It was prophesied in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New Testament, written down by the eyewitnesses and accurately transmitted from then to now. And this is, is a taught. This is not just blind faith. It's faith in things that we can test to some degree and know about and check on the validity of certain things. I can get into it a lot more, but that's a, a generic uh, thing. That's not what blind faith is. It, most, Christ, most people don't know what blind faith is, and then they accuse Christians of it. They don't know. Well, uh, faith without seeing is blind faith, for sure. Um, I'm not sure why that's a virtue. And um, speaking to one of the things you mentioned, I was able to replicate uh, like 15 different uh, lines of uh, rules of gematria in one afternoon. So it's not very impressive. <laughs> really? I, yeah. got, I got a challenge for you, but you can't do. Look, I have already beaten a challenge. Oh, really? The guy, the guy who challenged me won't pay me because I beat it. But um, I'll pay you 10 bucks if you can do a challenge of gematry <laughs> that's in the New Testament. I won't take my socks off for 10 bucks. Well, I have a problem uh, with betting very much because I could bet you my house. What would you offer? Nothing. Okay. So you if, can't put your I money where your mouth that's, is. Gotcha. That's normally how uh, challenges work. Like the. Um, the James Randy challenge. If you can beat him, beat the challenge, you get the money. You don't have to offer up anything for it. It's just you beat it, you get the money. Oh, same thing with same thing with the abiogenesis prize money. If so, once someone solves uh, that aspect of abiogenesis and uh, they create a cell from uh, basically from scratch, they get the money. They don't. If they fail to do it, you they don't lose money. So then uh, they lose time, I guess, on the attempt, but. So if I were to offer you a challenge dealing with uh, letter patterns, I said you had to write a paragraph with 72 words and the number of the nouns, everything's divisible by seven. The yeah, already, nouns, yeah, I already did that. And the word the and the, and uh, those and, the, and the, the different articles and the uh, and there's a division pointed in the yeah, middle. And the, the number of unique words is divisible by seven. The number of words found in certain lines are divisible by seven. The total number of words divisible by seven. Total number of... Um, Vowels, uh, consonants, and vowels. vowels. You've yeah. done that. I've done that. Let me yeah. see it. Show One it to me. Turn. Okay. Show it to me. Show me and do all the ones where it has the number of letters or all, and the consonants are divisible by seven as well. The yeah, words that. that occur more than once is divisible by seven. It's got to be the same requirement. You're willing yeah. to do that, right? Okay, yeah, I want to see I've it. Done it. <laughs> Let's see what you got. Okay, I'll email you. Yeah. <laughs> this is too much fun, guys. Well, okay, I'll give so, you a Starbucks card if you can do it. <laughs> um, that was the 20 minutes, but let's at least get through these last couple super chats. Uh, this one's more, let me see. Um, oh, here we go. Caleb gave a super chat. Thank you so much, Caleb. Five bucks. Um, this is more of a challenge, it looks like, Matt. He says, is Matt willing to debate our brother praise? He's a YouTuber. On is Calvinism biblical <laughs> or, a more, <laughs> or a more narrow topic relating to Calvinism, perhaps? So that's uh, just a yeah, I'd be willing to debate it. Does a person know I've been defending Calvinism for like 30 years? <laughs> it's yeah, it's not your first rodeo, that's for sure. 
on my first rodeo. But uh, yeah, I'd be willing to debate Calvinism or an aspect of it, like limited atonement or total depravity or, you know, whatever. But yeah. yeah. Or is Calvinism true? We could do uh, the nature and extent of the atoning work. How about that? That'd be fun. I, I, I could listen to those debates all day. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Give it to me. I'm in. I'm in. Hey, there we go. Pay-per-view debate of 2021. So let's end with this one then. This is a question for both and it'll be a good way to wrap it up and get to some after shows. That's when the real party begins. So question from David Neff. Thank you so much, David. Actually, it turns out David Neff is the one who's having the, um, the after, after show. show, I believe. So that should be wild as well. Hey, we still got 106 people in, in this chat. So you guys kept it fun. Uh, question for both. What would change your mind on God? We can start with uh, whoever would like to. Go ahead. I'll go. You find the, res the the crucified body of Christ, I will give up Christianity. Um, I, it, I would have to be convinced in steps, basically. Um, I would have to have some kind of personal revelation. We would have to have a model based on uh, on some on a revelation that was given to everyone that produced accurate predictions and the concept presented therein would have to be would have to not have the logical flaws that uh, the current uh, Christian God concept has, and that would probably get me a lot closer, if not a hundred percent on the other side. Like, uh, for for instance, real quick, if every baby was born and a Bible just plopped down on the tray next to them. That would be a pretty good indicator. I still need a little bit more confirmation, but uh, that'd be that'd be a pretty good. Uh, that would move me a long way. Well, I already prayed for you tonight and prayed for your salvation that God would show you His great mercy, and uh, whether He chooses to or or not is 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 up to Him. But if He were well, to give you a sliver of His glory like He did to me when I was seventeen, then you'd be sitting here doing this at my age. Well, that's interesting because God knows what would convince me. And yet, and he supposedly wants to save my soul, and yet he won't do it. So, no, you don't understand. Again, Christian theology, there's no necessity in the Bible that he wants everyone to be saved. I, I know, and that's what doesn't make sense. Well, that's another topic. All right, good place to end it, guys. This has been a great debate. Two hours has flown by. I'll definitely say that, like you said, uh, like I said earlier, we've had a good chat. Some record numbers here, guys. So uh, to the audience, thanks for all the good questions. Thanks for the super chats. You guys are the life and blood of this channel. So I appreciate it. God bless you all. Uh, make sure to check out David Neff's after show after this. And uh, thanks for giving us your time to the debaters, because if you didn't, if you weren't so generous with your time, we wouldn't have a debate tonight. So why don't we give it to you guys just to kind of uh, end it here with some concluding words, concluding thoughts. Uh, why don't we start with Snake? Snake, thanks again for being here. Uh, any concluding words before we shut her down? Um, yeah, I guess I still don't see any way to describe what good is from the, any Christian worldview. It, it's just putting your trust in God that he knows, but you can't even confirm that he knows or that he exists. Um, and so this means that I, you can be deceived a lot more easily than I can. Um and even if I am making assumptions, I'm making a lot less than the Christian is. So, um, yeah, uh, might have gotten a little bit heated, but uh, no hard feelings. And I thank everyone for coming out here, for setting this up. And uh, 
I thought it was a good discussion, and yeah. I didn't awesome. think it was heated. Final word, Matt. Go ahead. Yeah, um, uh, <clears throat> I think my opponent failed using logic, failed in uh, his inconsistency, seeing his own inconsistencies, is begging the question, not able to justify stuff, failing to understand the Christian perspective, uh, and stuff. It went on and on and on. Um, and, uh, you know, that's just it. And maybe we'll have another discussion sometime on a more narrow topic, uh, which is fine. But, uh, you know, thanks, everybody. I'm going to go to the after show with David Neff in here a little bit. So we'll see. Me too. Actually, Actually, Matt Slick on. and David Neff, you guys, you guys have had a debate in the past. So that, yeah, that should be fun. Yeah, we've debated. I like Dave. I've known him for years on, online. He's a nice guy. And he's, and, nice uh, he's, guy. A, he's an atheist. Yes, he's a nice guy. But. He's wrong. And when I say it, he, he doesn't take offense to it, you know? So, uh, well, uh, then again, Matt, who haven't you debated? So, uh, you, yeah, yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey, we'll pick a topic one day. Um, anyways. Okay. Thanks guys. This has been great. This has been fun. Right. We'll see you at the after show. Uh, SFT is out. God bless everybody.